Yo, this is BJ Gador, host of the Weekly BJ Podcast. I'm a former fat guy turned cover model, and I'm also the former fitness director for the Men's Health brand. I specialize in helping busy men and women just like you burn fat, build muscle, and boost metabolism while having a little fun along the way. And I'll be interviewing some of the most influential men and women in the health, fitness, and nutrition space to give you a weekly dose of fitspiration. Follow me everywhere on social media at BJ Gador, B-J-G-A-D-D-O-U-R. And for more podcasts, plus workout, meal prep, and mobility content, please visit thedailybj.com, hashtag not a porn site. Membership is just $9.69 per month. Cancel anytime. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when each weekly episode is posted. Oh. Yo, BJ Gador with the Weekly BJ Podcast, and we are testing out our first ever Instagram Live podcast, a split screening right now with Sohi Lee. She is an amazing fitness expert. I, I highly recommend you follow her at Sohi Fit. Uh, she's also uh, the lady friend of my good buddy, Brett Contreras. We spent some time together recently in San Diego, where they're based, and she's just really amazing for kind of her no-nonsense evidence-based approach to fitness, nutrition, lifestyle. So, Sohi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. I'm excited too. You're wearing bunny ears and a bunny nose, and I'm just I basically... Yeah, we'll go to more scandalous <laughs> options towards... I really like... The shades I'm wearing right now are actually pretty legit. Gold is best. So, take us through, first of all, how you got started, your origin story. I always start with that with my guests because you know everybody has a reason for starting fitness and yeah. usually it's like you were fat or you were too skinny or you were injured or someone in your, your family or life had problems with health and fitness. So where, where do you get your passion from? Why did it start? How did oh, you begin? Gosh. You know, I think a lot of people fall into fitness kind of by accident. They, they have some body image issues or whatever it is and then they pick up I was struggling with anorexia for a while, and now it's bulimic, and 
I was uh, at my worst. I was probably um, starving myself for three days and then binging on the third every third day, doing three hours of cardio a day. Um, it was just a miserable existence, and I, I didn't know anything about how to attain the physique that I wanted, how to prioritize quality of life, things like that. And so um, over the years, I continued to struggle through high school, etc. And then my senior year of high school, I uh, I discovered lifting weights. And actually, through, through an oxygen magazine on the cover, I saw, I forget who it was, some fitness model. And that was the first time I realized, oh, you can be, you can look fit and muscular and still very much feminine and look great without having to be a professional athlete. And uh, I didn't realize that was even possible. So I picked up the magazine, I scoured through everything, and uh, my mind was blown. So I actually picked up Tosca Reno's Clean Eating Bible. I don't know if you remember that from back today. Back when uh, clean eating was all the rage. Tosca Reno, clean eating. And that's when I first learned about protein, macros, why it's important to, to eat enough carbs, etc. And uh, from there, I started becoming a full-time lurker on the bodybuilding.com forums and combing through whatever I can, pulling up random routines here and there. My first month, I think I was doing like an hour of bicep curls, different, all different bicep curls for a full hour. Why not? And yeah, and I was like, oh, this is great. The more volume, the better. And so anyway, from there, obviously, it's been a several, several years of, of journey of, of trying out all these different methods and uh, trying to chase a given physique. Um, sacrificing my quality of life, missing out on college life, following a meal plan, struggling with that, and uh, continuing to struggle with binge eating for several years afterward. And, and then now, uh, I would say I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty well experienced at this point. I would probably say I'm relatively well qualified to do what I do. But uh, I know I entered at Christie Performance right out of college. I quit pre med to pursue fitness. My junior year of college because uh, I realized I did not love medicine but I love fitness and I um, at the time I wasn't really sure what I could do in the fitness industry besides be a personal trainer um, and I was told repeatedly that it was a dead-end career that there's no way I was going to make any money or see any success but as we've especially nowadays you can you can make a really comfortable living doing just about anything in the fitness industry so I kind of just went in blind and took this internship, took my first job out at uh, Tyler English, which I believe you know him. Yes. In Connecticut. We had sex uh, a couple times. Yeah, and then I moved to Peak Performance in New York City uh, with Joe Dowdell, which was great. And then since then I, uh, then, I eventually started working full-time online. And uh, about four years out of college, I decided to go back to grad school and got my master's degree in psychology, which I just graduated with uh, two weeks ago, and now I'm in San Diego. I've got my own private studio, uh, which I love, and I'm training clients out of here, and I'm still doing a lot of stuff online, but I, I work primarily with women. Um, I love working with beginners, to strength training especially, and I talk a lot about, uh, as you know, dietary adherence, about how to achieve sustainable results without yo-yo dieting, without feeling like you're depriving yourself, and whatnot. So now I have my um, CSCS through the NSCA. I'm also a certified sports nutritionist through the ISSN, master's degree in psychology, so studying the psychology of eating behavior. Um, and I have a number of different products out, a number of different online services. So I kind of do a lot of things in fitness, wear a lot of hats, but I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, you know what I've really enjoyed the most? I've always knew you were legit and you do such a good job of taking these common questions and simplifying complex fitness concepts uh, and a lot of 
uh, really good quality information that you can digest. But lately, too, I've been seeing you share a lot more of your personality. You got jokes. I, know, I mean, I wouldn't have known that. It's, it, it's great to see someone have some fun. and Because and, we can only take so much vanilla. You know what I mean? Right. we got to get some yeah. swirls and some sprinkles in there from time to time. Yeah, that, and that's been very intentional on my part. I think a part of it is, um, one, just feeling more comfortable with my brand. And two, uh, being more maybe more secure with myself. Even I think even a year ago, I would not have been doing these types of videos. I would have been way too self-conscious or I would have thought, no, I have to be serious. If I want to be taken seriously, I have to always be serious. But then I would look through my feed on Instagram and be like, I'm boring. <laughs> I bore myself. So then I started thinking, okay, how can I uh, demonstrate these common gym mistakes but, and get the point across, but also get people to watch the whole video? Okay, let's make it entertaining. All right, we're going we're gonna to talk about stretch up and down my balls. I'm going to sing it. But let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, and, and then, True story, so by the way. Really fun, yeah. Well, I, I love that. And you know, to touch on something you touched on earlier in your origin story, you know, it's so funny, people, fitness junkies, fitness pros, so many of them, because of the stigma associated with, oh, that was beautiful. I don't know what you just did, but yeah. it was magical. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, I'm changing my shades every time we change topics. Yeah. But, uh, you know, because of the stigma associated with body dysmorphia, eating disorders, uh, people are afraid to admit they deal with those issues. And, you know, like, there was a time that I gained 35 pounds in five days. You know, uh, that's an eating disorder. Like, you know, there, there are... Um, People are afraid to, uh, you know, talk about these things or, you know, admit to them or share their experience. And the reality is so many are dealing with it. And but the, the key point here, not that you have to have an eating disorder or hate the way you look to be good at, at, at fitness or good at what you do. But you've got to be willing to be shitty at something for a long enough period of time if you ever want to be good at it. And I think what you're outlining is all these mistakes the constant fine-tuning, yeah, the education is key and, and the real-world experience, but the, the empathy you develop and knowing that psychology is always way more yeah. important, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that like, the, I mean, because it's psychology always beats programming, sets and reps, exercises. It's what can you provide that gets right. people to keep showing exactly. up? Yes, I always say it does not matter what the research says is ideal or optimal for results if you cannot adhere to it. So if there's a disconnect between what you know you're supposed to do and your application, your consistent application of that behavior, then it just then 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 it's not working. And I, I learned this in college the hard way um, through personal experience for a long time because I was with a coach at the time who had me on a very restrictive meal plan. And do you think restrictive meal plans work well with a college student? Probably not. So I was having tr tr trouble uh, maintaining a healthy social life, going to the school cafeteria and being like, I'm going to eat 11 egg whites for my meal because that's all I'm allowed to do. And I'm like this. This doesn't make some sense. And why, why, when I have French fries, I can't have a reasonable serving? Why do I end up binging all the time? Why is this happening? Why do I? Why can't I just follow the meal plan? So over time, I think about halfway through college, I started realizing there's more to this equation than just follow the plan or just try harder. Which um, coincidentally is now one of my biggest pet peeves in the industry is when people tell other people just try harder. It's not just a matter of trying hard enough. I'm missing some tools. There's something, there's a disconnect somewhere. And I, even back then, I, I noticed people are not talking about this enough, whatever this is. And I realized it was the psychological aspect. It was the behavioral adherence component. So I became, um, I actually switched my uh, area of concentration within my human biology major. And um, 
I think I ended with psychosocial and biological determinants of health. So I kind of pulled psychology to my major at the end because I realized, wow, we are not, we need more research in this area. We need to talk about this more. And uh, what's been really cool is that over the years, I have seen a huge um, increase in professionals in general talking about habits, obviously, and dietary adherence and sustainable results and moving away from strict extreme methods, um, not entirely, I think that's still a problem, but there are more and more people who are slowly but surely talking about um, how to actually change your behavior so that you can see lasting results, not just for one month, but a year from now, you look great still. Two years from now, you're maintaining your results. Because that to me is what, when people say they want to lose weight, they want to shed fat, what they mean is they want to lose it and keep it off. They just, a lot of times they don't even realize it because they're not thinking that far ahead. So my job, if I'm your coach, my job is to teach you the tools to do that for the rest of your life, not just get you quick results. And so that's what I'm really interested in nowadays. I mean, I tell my members all the time, you know, the, the purpose of my programs, I'd rather you lose two less pounds of fat in 12 weeks and be ready to run the next race and do your next program versus limping to the finish line, ready to quit, hating your life, wanting to, you know, burning out, um, so I, I love all that, and that's, that's part of why I wanted to get you on, because you really understand that concept. And one of the things you tackled recently was, which is great, because I remember uh, early in my career, I worked with a lot of uh, uh, housewives or, or people at home that you know, would be cooking during the day and not realizing like every time they were making stuff and they were tasting stuff. Like You, you did a video on when do calories count and how we... We, we get good at like, oh, I was just testing this, tasting it. Oh, it was just a little, a little no taster's choice, yeah. but that shit adds up. So t take us through uh, when do calories count and, and some classic scenarios that you've worked with your clients that can actually, you know, be like dying by a thousand paper cuts over the course of a day or a week. Oh God. Yeah. This happens all the time. So the more I, more I talk about it and the more I discuss this, with, there's actually a good amount of research on this too, which is so interesting. Um, and especially, it's especially common in people who are overweight or obese. They do this more where they under-report their calorie intake. Well, they say, I'm only eating 12,000 calories. But when you actually look at what they're really eating throughout the day, they forgot to mention the half and half they dumped through their coffee. They forgot to mention the butter that they cook with their eggs. They forgot to mention the half burrito they ate of their significant other's lunch. And they're actually eating 3,000 calories. And so... Um, in general, in general, the more overweight, obese you are, the more you tend to underreport your intake. Um, usually, not intentionally. Usually, people don't realize or they forget what they ate, or they don't they don't realize how much these things add up throughout the day. But even things like if you have a bowl of candy at your desk, you're probably going to find yourself reaching for it. Uh, in this, you know, this is mindless eating. You don't even realize you're doing it. And what sucks about that is that you don't even enjoy the experience. It's just a waste of added calories. And um, happens to all of us. And usually, usually, what I can say to people, uh, is this all you're eating? And I just really probably go, what else are you eating? Okay, what else are you eating? What are you cooking your eggs with? Oh, two tablespoons of butter. All right, that adds a lot of count. What else? Okay, your peanut butter, are you weighing that out with a food scale? Because usually a tablespoon is about a third of what you think it is, a true tablespoon. So when you start to ask these kinds of questions, they're like, oh, my gosh, my salad's actually 1,200 calories alone. Or, like, I forgot to, the, the, the dressing, the this and that. And licking the batter, finishing my french fries off, off my kid's plate. These things, um, so many people think, oh, it's just harmless. And I used to tell myself that, too. They're just crumbs. They're
they're just a handful. No big deal. But one handful, one bite in isolation is fine, usually. But usually it's never nice. It's usually that times 20 throughout the day. All of a sudden, you're eating 1,000 calories more than you claim to be. And then you say, oh, something's wrong with my body. I'm not saying, no, you're just eating too much. And, it's almost uh, always that case. Well, yeah. I'll tell you this. Yeah. Snacking is a fucking disaster. You know, one of the things that I see with people that helps tremendously right off the gate is the, just the concept of creating a meal. You, you eat at the dinner table. You spend enough time enjoying it, taking in the meal, and, and just start cutting out all the noshing. Because, you know, the snacking industry exploded in the 90s and 2000s. Everybody's now so, you know, fat and overweight. Uh, it, it's been directly correlated um, because we've been told you need to snack and eat every couple hours to get energy. And uh, the reality is if people would just start eating, you know, even larger meals, but spacing things out enough and then having the concept that they think about things anytime before it enters their mouth, uh, just for a period of time to get an understanding of, of you know, break. And I, I meant it in the, not the daily BJ way, the, you know, the food way, um, to me, to me, that is one of the biggest problems right now is just, you know, people ask me, uh, when, when do you snack? I mean, I really don't. Like, I'll, I'll have a couple high-protein snacks, but they're, they're properly spaced between two larger meals, and, and they're just not – it's just not a part of my life anymore. It was. You know, I have, like, the Kringle and the chips, and like you said, you know, uh, in my house, you never waste food. So licking the plates and, you know – Having somebody else's meal, I, 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 still to this day, like I, I chill in the cut. Oh, that was an accidental shades change, by the yeah, way. <laughs> but uh, I wait for my wife to like, she, she sees like I'll always finish first, and I just wait for her to not finish her meal because she never does. And then, then I'll I'll clean it up, but I usually order appropriately because I know I'm gonna end up, you know, finishing off her leftovers. Right. Yeah. And I think um, meal frequency and meal structure is also very individual. But again, by and large, I think. Most people would do well uh, eating three to four meals a day and minimizing, keeping the snacking to a minimum. Because what happens is does not do anything for satiety much, if at all, and it just adds calories to your day. So I, I personally eat three meals a day, um, and that's it. I don't snack. And if I do snack, I end up consuming way more calories, and I'm never feeling satisfied. Uh, but, of course, there are some people who can do, like, one or two snacks and feel okay. Uh, but I think whatever the method is, I would probably recommend just being consistent with whatever meal frequency you decide to do. Okay? Um, roughly the same number of calories per meal and so on. I think the more the more consistent you are from day to day, the better your results would be. And I, um, That's one of the defining features of people who are able to stay lean year-round, like you and like me. And I know you're a lot more jacked than I am, but... Uh, Not it's, anymore. It's having, <laughs> having really good routine. My eating every day is more or less the same. I say the simpler you're eating, a lot of times the better. Because I don't have to think about, I don't make complicated meals. My meals are very simple and straightforward. And that's entirely on purpose because then I can devote most of my time to doing work, to doing being productive, doing things outside the kitchen. And uh, I love what I, I like the way that I eat. Find a way you like to eat. Find a way that you can maintain day after day. And if you're trying to shed body fat, um, from there try to create a modest deficit and maintain that over time. Next question. How should, I know, I know you love this one, but I want a, a, a woman to speak about this. How should women train differently than men? I get it all the time. I'm sure you get it way more than I do, but break that down for us. Gosh, you know, I have a, um, I have a monthly training program that 
monthly, I know I think with similar to, I think it's parallel of, of uh, the daily DJ, I have my monthly group training workouts, mostly for women, but I have some men sometimes saying, can I join this? Yeah. Yeah, you can. You're not going to all of a sudden build womanly curves just by lifting in this way. And I think for the most part, there are no real differences. Obviously, some men want more traps, some men want more quads. And um, if that's the case, you can program more direct trap work or quad work. But I think everyone should be squatting, deadlifting, benching, hip thrusting, doing chin-ups, variations thereof, and uh, getting stronger over time. I can train two, a man and a woman, the exact same way, and they will both see phenomenal results. Phenomenal. You bet. Um, yes. And I, I, have, I have read research that women tend to have higher training volume tolerance and need less rest between sets. Absolutely. And so, I mean, to, to summarize, training is goal specific, not gender specific. Uh, we, we, I see some questions about macros. That I already had one question planned on this. You did a recent post about counting calories and macros one-on-one. -on -one. You want to break that down for us? Yeah. Um, so that can lead to some miscalculations. But also you have like fiber has 
uh, fewer calories per gram than just an actual like a complex carb, for example. So that can so some people just count like net carbs with like Quest bars, for example, things like that. So they'll tell you it has way fewer calories, and then the math is not add up that way. Um, but usually, I say just focus on if you're counting macros, just focus on your macros, and the calories will take care of themselves. Because people will say like, well. I'm trying to hit my macros, but I can't hit my calories. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. If you're hitting your macros, you are, by definition, hitting your calories. So don't overthink that. You bet. And you talk about, too, you know, how, because, again, as individualized as exercise can be, we all have an exercise personality, but there's the dieting personality, I think, is even more individualized. And certainly... Without a doubt, like we know the most important factors are total calorie intake and probably total calorie intake and total protein intake are the two most important factors of body transformation. And usually people will uh, find the right blend of fat and carbohydrate that works for their body. And, and that, that can be based on body type, activity level, goal, whatever. Uh, some people, it does not make sense to count calories because they have an obsessive personality and can make them feel like a fucking food scientist. And there's other people that need to see those numbers because uh, they're more analytical and it helps them make progress. So uh, talk to us about that. Because obviously, you know, I've never counted calories. I've always stressed portion sizes. I know a lot of people that use macros and calories with great results. There's so many ways to do it. It really is about matching it for your, your personality. Yes. And I would say that ma- so macro tagging is by far about the most precise method of uh, managing your nutrition by far, especially if you're using a food scale and weighing out every single thing to the gram. Um, it is obviously a highly meticulous practice, and there are going to be some people for whom this actually um, exacerbates eating disorders. So it brings out your neurotic, obsessive tendencies to where you maybe don't know how to be flexible even when you're doing it. Or there are people who, and this used to be me, uh, you use it as a crutch because you don't want to learn how to eat without using a food scale. You don't know how to learn, and you don't want to learn. You just, oh, you just use it as, as an excuse. Um, for, so for those people, it would probably not need it. I would also probably say you don't need to track macros. If you are so beginner in your nutrition, like you have so much room for improvement that even just something like get in protein in every meal, that's enough to make a significant difference in the beginning for you. Like you don't even have a tiny iota of your nutrition foundation established. Don't need to track macros. That's way too advanced. Um, but then, even even with tracking macros, there's a spectrum of you could you can uh, shoot for specific protein, carbon, fat numbers within five grams in each direction. You can be within ten grams in each direction. You can be um, a lot of times people I will give them either a 100 or 200 calorie range for their target, and then say, okay, here's your calorie range. Here's your protein target. I don't care what your carbon fat numbers are. That's up to you. So that is one more flexible way of doing it. That way you're still controlling for calories, making sure they're hitting enough protein, but then you have the flexibility to where they can have a donut at night if they want and not be like, oh, that has five grams too much fat. I can't fit that in. Um, so there are a lot of people for whom I've been doing that recently. And then I also do a mixed approach where sometimes I'll give people, maybe during the week, I'll give them lower, more structured numbers where they have specific protein, carbon fat numbers. Monday to Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, they have the calorie range and the protein target, or I, can, or I can say, just eyeball your foods, but make sure you're within roughly this calorie range, mm. and that way I can 
keep, we can still keep your total calories in check. And on average, if you're going fat loss, we're keeping you in a deficit. So um, totally depends on the person. Totally depends on how they want to live their lifestyle. If they tell me I hate tracking with a bloody passion, and that's actually on my one of my questionnaires, that's one of their options you can hit. I hate tracking with a bloody passion. <laughs> then I would probably say probably don't don't use a food scale. Then or or I will say, listen, I know you want to do this, but do this for one month. Where but instead of just weighing and logging, I want you to start paying attention to what eighty grams of protein, eighty grams of uh, chicken looks like visually. Then over time, I want you to start guessing. Okay, I think this weighs this many grams before you put it on the food scale, and you see how off you were. Then by the end of the month, you'll be really, really good at guessing the weight, and you'll have a pretty good idea of okay, I need thirty grams of protein. That's what this looks like visually. Then after that, you can get rid of the food scale. Yes. Just eyeball everything, and you'll be really good. So and, that's another way of doing things. And to that point, Akbar ninety four is asking, what about tips for people who don't want to count the macros? It seems a little time consuming for, for first timers. And I can give my input. I'd like to hear yours uh, as well. All, you know, again, it's all it can all be based on the hand essentially, uh, and the beauty of yeah. the hand. Uh, the bigger you are, the, hopefully the bigger your hands are if, if things have been proportionately provided to you yeah. genetically. Um, and in most cases, you need about a fist of protein and a fist of produce. And potentially, if you want to add a fist of carbohydrate, um, m- m- protein and carbohydrate is pretty much based on your fist. Um, things like fats, those are things that, especially you talk about peanut butter. I mean, for me, a tablespoon is half the fucking jar. So I've got, th- those are things that were in the very calorie dense fats, oils, you might want to look at measuring those uh, initially until you can really eyeball them. Uh, but in most cases, like the, that's why I always say protein, produce, and water because those are things that are really hard to overeat that fill you up. Um, starches and fats, those are things you might want to look at measuring. But even then, uh, you can use your fist for a serving of starch. You can use your thumb for a serving of fat, that like oil, olive oil, um, you know, half an avocado. Uh, and then from there, too, you can you, not only can you adjust uh, – based on those relative portion sizes, you can go from four meals a day to three. And that's a way to easily reduce calorie intake without overhauling your diet, without getting too complicated. Do you have any other uh, ways in which you do that for people that are kind of neurotic and they do do check yes, that box um, on your survey? Yes. Yeah, so first thing is you don't ever need to overthink that process. People are like, well, sometimes my chicken breast is this thick, and sometimes it's this thin. And what, what, then what is it? Don't even worry about it. Uh, I, I would say... Um, well, we'll talk about tracking progress in a bit, but one one trick that I my friend Spencer Nadolski uses that I love, so simple, is you half your starch and you double your veggies on your plate of what you usually eat. And that's just such a simple way of shaving off several hundred calories from that one meal. And yep. um, another one he uses that has been controversial, but I actually do like it, is for a lot of people to replace one meal with a protein shake. So... You're just getting protein in, basically, way fewer calories. It's very simple and straightforward, and that is a strategy. I remember last year when I was, um, I had like 10 days to get ready for a photo shoot uh, for my book cover, which I wasn't trying to diet a lot or anything. All I did was one meal. I just had a protein shake. That's it. That's all I changed. I didn't track anything, nothing, and that was enough to lean out just enough to look how I wanted to for my shoot. Super simple ways. I would also say if you're not going to track, that's fine. But you should probably keep a closer eye on things like scale weight, things like waist measurement, hip measurement, uh, progress pictures. Take that on a regular basis. 
Uh, because because you don't know where your calories are, because you don't know where your macros are, where your protein is, you need to have some way of gauging your progress to know if you're on the right track or not. And then, and also strength numbers, right? Like if you're if your strength is is, is dropping, uh, that that might be a sign that the calorie drop is too heavy, or you know uh, the program is not properly designed. And if you're maintaining or building your strength numbers, and maybe your scale weight isn't showing anything, or maybe you've been kind of stuck in the mirror, at least it's showing you that you're you're building muscle. And as long as you're building muscle, like this is like one of the true rules of fitness. Uh, muscle is metabolism. Muscle is what makes this a lifestyle. What allows you to sustain. The results. So, that, you know, when you talk about fat loss training versus, you know, gaining muscle or strength and how people always want to shift it, you know, I, I have a shred style workout that's more metabolic conditioning based. I have a more gain style that's more metabolic bodybuilding based with more strength stuff. But ultimately, it's all about stimulating the muscle and at least maintaining it, if not building it. Um, let, let me ask you a nec- another one here that I thought was really good because we've all been there, I think, both with diet and exercise from the, the training standpoint. Someone misses the, the, the like a Monday workout. They're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just start again next week. Uh, or like yes. diet wise, you have a cookie. Fuck it. I'll have the whole bag. You know. Or now I'm gonna go get a burrito too. This whole concept of and again it comes to the extreme nature. I think of possibly American culture, uh, but uh, obsessiveness or you know all or nothing approaches. Uh, t- take us through that. You know. Yes! Specifically, yeah. Uh, specifically towards food, but also obviously applies to exercise and basically people who tend to be uh, perfectionists obviously have high levels of dichotomous thinking, which is uh, the tendency to think of phenomena in black and white. You're right or wrong, and um, you're guilty, you're not guilty, things like that. Um, can be helpful for some situations in, in life. But when it comes to eating, when it comes to exercise, when it comes to fitness, it is actually highly, highly correlated with um, binge eating, with yo-yo dieting, just eating disorder symptoms and behaviors, higher BMI, and I know BMI has its limitations, but in general, it's a pretty good marker of, of, uh, of uh, obesity and, and in general. Um, so basically, there are no good outcomes with dichotomous thinking. Uh, which is counterintuitive to many people because, and this is how I was too, I used to think that the more self-control that I exerted and the more willpower that I tried to rely on to do what I thought was the right thing with my diet, with my exercise, um, the better results I would see. But then I also noticed that the harder I tried and the more self-control I tried to rely on, the more it backfire. And I thought it was just me, and then I realized, no, 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 this is everyone. And so I realized, okay, if I actually have a more uh, moderate relationship with food, with exercise, with everything, I will actually see better results. And if you think about it, I did make a video on this topic uh, a few weeks ago, um, and this phenomenon with eating specifically, when you uh, go off, when you go off plan a little bit, and then you proceed to call it quits for the whole week, or the whole weekend, or the whole month, or the whole year even, this is called counter- regulatory eating um common terms we call it like what the hell effect as in ah, what the hell i might as well start on monday start on whatever because this day is already ruined but obviously it does not make sense because a 150 calorie cookie is so much better than a 4,000 calorie binge obviously and yet in our minds uh, when we set up these black and white rules for ourselves there's this bright line that we've created to where 
where we, when we step over the line, we don't know what to do anymore. We don't have any direction. It's just, as long as I'm within this boundary, I'm fine. I am comfortable. But there's such a, such a narrow, restrictive range, and it's just not realistic for daily living that you are bound to, you almost guaranteed to cross that bright line at some point. And then the binge eating begins. And then the, and then the yo-yo dieting happens. And um, yo-yo dieting, I have yet to see one person who has dieted with moderate methods and then gained the weight back, ever, not once. There's always people who are trying to be super restrictive, trying to do all these fad diets, um, arbitrarily cutting the calories down to 1,200 or even 800, and they see quick results for like two seconds, and then they're back up. Um, but that's, there's, just, there's nothing good that comes out of all nothing thinking. It's, it's, it's admirable, maybe. People like to brag about their hardcore diets and how much they're suffering. Uh, but to me, that's not really something to look up to at all. I think it's uh, what's harder, what's much harder. And um, one of my clients a few years ago said this to me, and I, I, it was brilliant. I love it. She goes, so he, extremes are easy. Moderation is so hard. And that is so true. Moderation is a skill. It is, a, it is so much easier to say, okay, I'm going to eat these three foods for the next 10 days versus I'm going to learn how to establish a better healthier relationship with junk food so I can go to a social event and not have a meltdown so I can have one drink and stop so I can have one brownie enjoy it and move on without guilt that is a skill that takes practice and I think a lot of times people think that it's easier um they'll obviously want to go the easier route the faster route and they don't want to take the time to learn these things but usually eventually they get to themselves to the point where they're so exhausted by what they're doing uh that they're finally willing to listen to, okay, this is obviously not working, and I had to learn that part way myself. This is obviously not working because now I'm heavier than ever, <laughs> and I've relied more on self-control than ever. So my, my approach is, and I've done a lot of research into self-control as well, and habits, the more you can rely on habits to implement lasting behavior change, the better your results will be. So the goal is, I'm not saying self-control is useless, I'm saying minimize your reliance on self-control as much as possible. I love this. I have a couple things to add because this is yeah. like the, the tor- and, and when it comes to fitness, the tortoise always beats the hare and consistency is the most anabolic substance you can give your body. The people that I know that do this, I mean, I haven't missed a workout since I was 14 years old. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I've never had extended times off. Even when I had knee surgery or I got hurt, I, I'd work around it. I would do more upper body and core. I just, I've never missed. So it's allowed me to never have to restart. What people do, what people constantly do, diet and exercise wise, is they allow uh, optimal to get in the way of effective, right? I mean, and, and that's, that's the big issue here is, you know, it's, if you, it's only a 10 minute workout, way better than zero. And if you are over the course of, that's part of why I tell people to get a home gym option because a home gym, even if you don't like training at home, will allow you to get at least one additional workout in a week. You probably wouldn't have if you had to go somewhere else to do it over the course of a year, several years, we're talking, I don't know how many fucking workouts, 50 to hundred extra workouts you get in. That's transformative. These are the things that people are neglecting diet wise. Scarcity is what destroys people, right? Because if I know I've only got two hours to eat as much as I can before I have to go back on my diet, I'm going to kill it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally eat until I shit or puke and then try to get 
After I do that, try to get a little more food in before the buzzer goes off versus what you said, um, trying to find the sweet spot, that moderation, uh, you know, sweet spot that is just so hard. Yes, I love, I love the idea of, of, uh, of creating your own home gym. I think if you want to prioritize your health, even if you're never going to be a professional bodybuilder, even if you're never going to be a powerlifter, I can slowly uh, building up your home gym, starting with maybe a few bit of dumbbells, some resistance band, an adjustable bench, and then from there, over the course of several years, you can just buy a few more things, but get things off Craigslist. Um, working out at home has been a huge game changer for me. Um, I love that I can work out whenever I want, not wait for equipment, um, so on and so forth. I can, like you were said, there are some days I will bench, go upstairs, turn the oven on, come back down. Like I'm, I'm going back and forth. And like at least I'm, do, and at least I'm getting my work on it. Yep. And that's something I can't do if I'm, have to, if I'm having to drive to a commercial gym. But um, setting yourself up for success is so important. And as far as consistency, one thing that I wish people would ask themselves more is when they're setting a behavior goal, instead of, oh, I'm a couch potato, I'm going to sign up for a gym and go six days a week starting next week, ask yourself, okay, can I realistically keep this behavior up for the next three months consistently? If the answer is no, scale it back. What can you do? So you always... You should start with what you what you can do consistently, as small as that is. Master that until it becomes habit, until it feels easy and effortless. You want to make everything as effortless as possible. And then from there, you build upon it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. I always say even like one day of lifting weights a week is better than like for three months straight. Well, that's kind of a long time. Hopefully, we've bumped it up to three times by then. That's better than going six days a week for one month and then quitting. So much better. I love it. No. And the next question is kind of related because I saw you recently do a kind of a parody of the common gym mistakes. Usually the offenders are hashtag all men are predators bros in the gym. I, I want to get a, 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 the, the, the female perspective of, in particular the female perspective of what are the most annoying common gym mistakes that you see. It's, it's a fun topic. for the sake of time but obviously one is hogging equipment if you're doing a six exercise circuit in a crowded gym and you're not letting anyone work in you are being so rude and so selfish and i had i remember last year um at the fitness summit i think brett was trying to work in a cable machine i think worked out or something anyway there was a girl doing six, six a six exercise circuit and she wasn't even close to that machine she comes sprinting over she goes oh no 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 can't be on there. How long are you going to be? 30 minutes. So no one can use this for 30 minutes. Great. There's one. Yeah. Another one is not replacing your dumbbells. Um, a lot of gyms are really good at this if they're, if they enforce this policy pretty well, but if you leave your dumbbells lying around and I'm looking for the 20s and they're all the way in the corner of the gym, I'm pissed. I don't want to spend my time walking around looking for the five-pound plate that should be right here because someone left it way over there. That's just bad etiquette. Poor etiquette. Um, yeah, I, I hate that. But, and then, uh, I just realized I'm talking etiquette, more mistakes. You want to have more mistakes? No, no, I, I, I love it all. Like, again, by the way, to your first okay. point, part of the reason I work out at home is because I would be that guy at the gym hoarding a power rack and other equipment. So, again, I'm just like, I'll just do it at home because I don't want to be... Yeah, yeah. 
taking up people's space. Yeah. Um, the other one I really don't like. Well, I, I, I kind of like it in that I see a lot of guys bringing their girlfriends to the gym and trying to teach them how to lift, which I think is very cute. And obviously, they probably wouldn't work out otherwise. But if you're going to teach them how to squat, don't have them squatting 135 for an ace of a rep. Have them do the bar and learn to go full depth. Yes. Have them do a full range of motion for like have them actually lift properly. And I think it's I almost feel like sometimes it's like the blind people into the blind. <laughs> what, what do you what do you think about uh, what do you think about partner partner PDA workouts where like you do a push up and you kiss or you. That's so bad. I had um back when we were in Scott in Phoenix, we went to um, a gym in Scottsdale, and there's this this couple every night, and they just make out in between sets. And it's so popular right now on, on the gram, the, uh, the choreographed partner workouts are using your partner as uh, a resistance or a load for an exercise. Uh, hey, it's nice to, you know, have some fun with it. But once you like start doing kisses, like between pull-ups and push-ups, I, I just, I vomit in my mouth uh, profusely. Well, I mean, have you and Brett ever kissed while hip thrusting? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, like, on the hip thruster, by the way. Oh, God, no, no. No, I don't do any, I'm not, I'm very, uh, stick to my routine, be done. I love it. Well, well, we'll keep it there. Uh, let's donkey calf raises. That's the only partner exercise that I, in my opinion, is legit because, uh, you know, my wife is, is a good load for that for me for high reps. And it's, it's just one of those movements that's hard to load with with weights. But that's a separate. Uh, let's start taking some questions here. Um, let me see here. Uh, here, this one is, uh, this is Kath Seven. So he, I've lost 15 kilograms since August. Congratulations. Uh, and lots of, uh, centimeters, but have plateaued. I hit my protein, but I have a feeling I'm not eating enough carbs. Which of your consultations would be right for me? Oh, look at this. I'm, I'm getting you some business, so he. <laughs> Diet and diet down, and part a lot 
a lot of this has to do with um, keeping adherence high. So maybe if you give yourself a little bit of a mental break to where you increase your calories for a few weeks, then maybe by the time uh, you go back into fat loss, you're feeling motivated and ready again to, to crush it and, and not uh, sneak in those like, spikes and tastes and have your calorie take sneak up over time. So maybe take a diet break. Maybe what you need to do is, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you need to um, make sure you're working out properly. Make sure, so maybe your workouts aren't are suboptimal. Maybe you're only doing walking or only doing cardio. And that's, if that's the case, then um, incorporating some strength training into the mix will make a huge difference for your body composition. Maybe you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Maybe you stop 50 reps shy of failure. Then you got to actually increase the effort in the gym. Make sure you're... Um, pushing for PRs, pushing for strength gains. Maybe you need to sleep more. Maybe you need to manage your stress because those two are um, huge underrated obstacles to fat loss. And uh, I just put it on my story the other day, a study showing that those who are sleep deprived see and um, but otherwise are eating and training well, doing everything perfect outcomes than those who are well rested and managing their stress levels. So there's so many variables to consider. I don't know what that is for you. Uh, one thing I'll add before the next question, which is a good one on rest days, is that a lot of people understand the importance of switching up your exercise variables, you know, different movements, different tempo, different rep ranges, different loading, but they don't realize that your body will quickly adapt to the same type of diet as well. Just by, you know, uh, looking at maybe cycling your, your carbs or calories a bit, uh, making some tweaks, you got to treat your, your macros sometimes like sets and reps too. Because the body is an adaptation machine. Um, so, yeah. And that's something that, obviously, if you're working with Zoe, she could really help you with directly. Christina Newland yeah. is asking, um, how many rest days do you recommend? I have a hard time with rest days. I know a lot of women I've worked with do, too. They want to train like seven days, eight days a week they yeah. want to train. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how many rest days do you take, BJ? I, uh, well, I typically train six or seven days a week. And it's intuitive in the sense that if I... If like I have a big workout on Friday coming up and it's uh, Thursday morning and I'm feeling kind of worn down, I'll make that a rest day because I want to make sure I hit that those weekend workouts hard. But I usually give myself one day a week that I can uh, make more maybe aerobic recovery, mobility based, just sure. walking. Um, sometimes I need to take two. It really depends on what's going on in the week. And then if I'm if I'm like crushing it, um, sometimes I'll train seven, but. Because since I tend to be one that can overtrain historically, I almost have mm -hmm. to put that, uh, I almost have to hamstring myself by saying I'm, I can only train six days a week, even if I want to train the seventh, because I can just so easily overtrain uh, based on yeah. my personality. Yeah. yeah, so I would say at the very least, try to take one rest day per week full. And I know while well, women are guilty of this as well, where they do two way too much cardio they're doing they're lifting four days a week and they're taking spin classes three days a week and they're doing bar and they're doing pilates and they're, blah, 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 and they're doing crossfit and this and that and i see this all the time um it's actually really interesting with my consults and stuff when they fill in the questionnaires it's interesting it's good data for me you know and i'm like oh my god these people don't know how to rest i rest four days a week <laughs> <laughs> i am almost the opposite where i will sometimes have to talk myself into doing my third workout of the week because my recovery lately, in the past year, I've, I've noticed, has been so poor, where if I try to lift four days a week, I'm crushed. I'm totally, I start getting sick. And so my threshold is very, very, very low. But I remember um, on Instagram, someone maybe a month or two ago asked me, Zoe, how many rest days do you take? I go, four. They go, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, and honestly.
honestly, I did. I used to. I used to work out three hours a day, seven days a week, and I would feel massive anxiety and guilt if I missed a session. But when I realized that you can, especially for maintenance purposes, for fitness purposes, if you can dial in your nutrition, it does not matter that much. Um, missing a day is completely fine. I actually love my rest days lately a little bit too much. I love having the extra time to do run errands, to take to veg, to um, do some extra work, to do whatever it is outside the gym that I otherwise would not be able to do. And that's how I think of it now. Um, so you can see, you could absolutely see fantastic fellas results training three days a week. If you are smart about how you spend your time in the gym, if you're smart, I have lots of my clients who only live three days a week, who are spawn with their diets, who see incredible progress with fat loss. So you can work out six days a week. You can work out three days a week. You can work out two days a week. You can see good progress. Within that spectrum. Without a doubt, depending on how you set up your training split. Um, Also, I mean, if I'm training six days a week, uh, probably two of those are like super hardcore. You know, the other ones are more about stimulating, not annihilating. Uh, Like lately, because I, you know, I do most of my work during the week, I do more kind of shred Metcon style stuff during the week. I don't need as much mental uh, focus for those workouts. They're more about getting things in. They help me stay consistent and stay lean. And then on the weekends, I go more uh, progressive overload, strength, bodybuilding style stuff when I have more energy. Uh, And also, I tend to equate it also with higher calorie days so I can get the benefit of of that from a a muscle gain standpoint. So again, the beauty of this, uh, this stuff is you set it up exactly to your personal needs, schedule, uh, et cetera. And uh, honestly, yeah. uh, I think people would probably benefit from only training three days a week uh, if, if they are someone who is an overtrainer and, and, and pushes themselves hard. Right. And especially if I'm hearing, oh, I'm training seven days a week and uh, doing two hours of cardio a day, but also I'm feeling really run down and my workouts are mediocre. I'm like, well, you'll actually see better results if you let yourself recover more then you have better quality workouts. And also, yeah. one thing that people don't think about is sometimes when you do too much cardio, it actually drains your energy. So the rest of the day, you're burning fewer calories because your NEAT drops. And NEAT is non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, anything, that movement that's not formal exercise, running errands, cleaning your house, stuff like that. Um, for me, if I do too much cardio, I'm on the couch for us. I don't move the rest of the day. So then my total energy expenditure is actually lower than had I not done the cardio instead been had been more fidgeting more throughout the day and so on and so forth so that can actually backfire if you do too much exercise for some people i love that let's do one more before we uh close it out uh <laughs> this, this one's always funny to me because I, i'm i've never had trouble gaining mass as as a fat guy but a lot of people do struggle with this um and i want to have you touch on it sumi tambra says how do i gain more mass i eat all the nutritional meals and supplements I work out, but I don't see results. I am definitely going wrong somewhere. Please help. When it comes to gaining muscle, your training is most is primary. Your nutrition will support it. So if you're not giving your body in the in the weightlifting room um, enough stimulus to force it to have micro tears and then grow back, regenerate stronger, uh, you're not going to gain the muscle that you want. Part of that is a matter of having having adequate training volume. Part of that is a matter of having enough, uh, pushing yourself enough to where you're gaining strength. So if you're usually, if you're, if you're not, um, if you're just going through the motions, you're probably not really changing your body much. But for nutrition, just make sure you're eating enough to support 
growth. So basically don't be in a deficit, um, be at maintenance or slightly above. And for training, yeah, I would recommend even if you're training three, four days a week, that's, you can, that's enough to see results. But get stronger over time in a variety of rep ranges. The research shows that going higher reps is just as effective at building muscle as lower reps as long as you are pushing yourself in whatever rep range you're in. So you have to be gaining strength over time. You bet. And one thing to add to this too, and this is the answer that most fitness pros don't want to give because it implies that we can't help you. And in some cases we can't. Some people are non-responders to exercise. Uh, they can gain, they can still get all the health benefits and the strength benefits. Two minute warning, by yeah, the way. Sorry. But, um, you know, and I, I, I played football with some people that like you could never tell. Like they had, I had way much more, way more muscle mass than they did. Uh, but they just were really fast twitch and uh, were stronger than me on certain lifts, um, you know. So, but you wouldn't know it by looking at them. So uh, they just didn't. They don't have the genetics to really respond as you would see. Now, here's the thing: it takes three to five years for people to slow cook, like realistic gains, non-drug, uh, natural gains for the average person. For you to look like completely different, it's going to take you three to five years of consistent weekly training. Yes. No one likes yeah, that answer, so he. Muscle gain is as slow as hell. It is much slower than fat loss. And so they usually go like one month and like, I don't see anything different. Yeah, because you need like six more months or yes. even longer to notice any true gains. Yeah. You know, one of my new quotes that I'm going to be sharing is uh, fat loss is like dating and muscle gain is like marriage. <laughs> I, th I think it really sums it up. Uh, well, we got a minute here, so I want to make sure you have time to let people know where to follow you. Um, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Yeah, that was really fun. Okay, uh, everything on my platform is SoHeFit, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I'm most active on. Thanks so much for listening to the Weekly BJ Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when each weekly episode is posted. Follow me everywhere on social media at BJ Gador, B-J-G-A-D-D-O-U-R. And for more podcasts plus workout, meal prep, and mobility content, please visit thedailybj.com, hashtag not a porn site. Membership is just $9.69 per month month cancel anytime.